I'm kind of tempted to do? What? How quickly do you think we can get Baxter Building done and then we can do the way what after it? Is that insane? Uh, what are you saying? What? Huh? Do you think we can do Baxter Building tonight and then do the Wait What episode after it to just free up your tomorrow? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's very sweet, but no, no, no. This this will work fine, Graham. Don't worry about it. We'll okay. make it happen. Because the great thing is, is we're recording the Wait What tomorrow, but I don't have to have it mixed, you know, until before I leave. So it's there's a slightly longer turnaround and stuff. It's not it's not nearly as stressful. Okay. Well, you've you've just suggested that you. You don't do well in the evenings these days. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably correct. Is that still true? Is that, are you still just like finishing work and then being like, I'm done for the day? Pretty much, yeah. No, very much so. But I mean, but I could I can work around that. I can work around that a little bit. Um, the things we do for our listeners, Jeff. Tell me about it, man. Hello, whatnots. I'm waiting for Jeff to stop laughing so I can say hello, whatnots. <laughs> Jeff stopped laughing, but now Sorry. he started again. God damn it. Hi, uh, this is Baxter Building. Uh, this is episode 23. Of the Baxter Building, in which uh, myself, Graham McMillan, and my compadre, Giggling Jeff Lester, giggling, good old Giggling Jeff Lester, uh, read through Marvel's Fantastic Four series. Mm-hmm. We are up to issue 201. Well, technically we're up to issue 200, which is where we left off yes. in episode 21. Then we went back to do some annuals for a while, and now we're, we're moving forward again. We've got the momentum. It's It's... It's exciting. We're doing issues 201 through 214. And if we have momentum now, that's not going to happen for very long because these are some terrible issues. The thing that I think is fascinating about it is, Jesus, you know, that there's so many of the, you and I both ended up liking right up to issue 200, which is technically very surprising because you had revisited them and not liked them and yeah i revisited them really really recently like last year yeah i was like they're terrible and then last time was like no no these are great marv wolfman gets the fantastic four better than anyone yeah i i eat my fucking words with these issues yeah 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 yeah. it i what i think is interesting is is that and maybe wolfman really had the one story that he wanted to tell and, you know, and really I, just had to... all those pieces to come to, sure. and had them come together, you know? Sure, and yet not. Because I've got to admit, the the first three issues out of this batch, I was also digging. Oh, interesting. Then, then the digging ended very rapidly. But no, okay, let, let's, let's go through them super quickly. Because exactly. this is not sarcasm whatnots i think if jeff and i went into great detail for some of these issues it would just be us weeping for a lot because <laughs> we, we, we were not a fan home deadly home exclamation point yeah is the title of fantastic four 201 marv wolfman writes and edits and keith pollard and joe sinnett provide the artwork mm-hmm. jeff issue opens with the fallout the the aftermath of issue 200 yes we we get to see 
uh, Zorba, the new ruler of Latvia, Latveria, not Latvia, that's a real country, <laughs> Latveria, be installed. He, he says it's Latveria's proud to say it'll be all, all to you, Fantastic Four. There's a ticker tape parade, which mm-hmm. for some reason I find amazingly amusing. And then they send them on their pogo plane back home. Exactly. When they get home, though, everything just seems to go to shit kind of wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's funny. This one is kind of a weird little uh, follow-up to, in a way, the episode where the FF empty out the Baxter building. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's essentially the issue of them moving back in. That's, yeah. that's the plot of the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they move back in. They there's another scene with the terrible character, the landlord, who. Although I have to admit, I love that he's basically like, you can have the top five floors back because no one else wants it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. The reason I'm doing this is I'm making a terrible loss because no one else fucking wants this building. Yeah, yeah, which is really sort of funny and wonderful. Uh, it's you know we get a cutaway of the Baxter building, which is always fun to have and is kind of interesting in that it's uh that it's one of those situations where they show the cutaway of the building and then there's actually, there's a scene where the thing gets pulled from like one room, like the gym into the rec room and you can flip back to your map and be like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's totally how it's kind of a shame he didn't get dragged into the meditation chamber. I do love some of the stuff that's on here where it's just like projection room. You know what I really like about the the inside the Baxter building thing they've got? The bit at the bottom, rooms not shown, other side of building. Oh yeah, that's great. Visitors rooms, kitchen facilities, restrooms, private elevators, power conduits, robot housing facilities, detoxifying lab, medical lab, sewing room, <laughs> sewing room. I love that. I love the I love room, open brackets, off limits. Yes. Close brackets. And then room X absolutely no admittance to anyone yeah yeah uh i love the fact that there's a monitoring room with tv and satellite signals and then a communications room so if you see something that's really important in the monitoring room you gotta walk next door to tell people about it in the communication room it's just so <laughs> also so the monitoring room tv and satellite signals is right next to the meditation chamber yeah, yeah, it seems weird. I'm done meditating. I'm going to go next door to the monitoring room. <laughs> you know, uh, I tell you, it's, that's how advanced Double the FF were. FF. So, so the plot is basically they, they move back in, and as they're moving in, the building basically attacks them. Yes. The things start going hideously wrong uh, in many, many different ways. They, they end up, they get gassed mm-hmm. at one point. Uh, Sue, because she protects herself from the gas with her invisible shield, then gets lasered and sound waved. Mm-hmm. And sound waves, which I guess makes sense, is the one that works because, strangely enough, an invisible shield can't stop sound from getting in. Right, right. Which is which is weird because uh, you would think that lasers, which are light, would be able to get through an invisible force field think of the way that lasers work in science fiction in general that totally rings true to me how so i just i i feel like (laughs) invisible fields in science fiction stopping lasers is not a new thing okay logically you're right a laser is literally a beam of light if you can see through something a laser should be able to shoot through it i i love the idea that you're like i'm not talking about science jeff i'm just saying the science tropes it's well established 
This science fiction. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it. It's it's kind of funny, but okay, sure. I mean, the thing is, is that um, on the one hand, this is kind of what I like about it is it actually feels like an issue of the Fantastic Four that's a done in one that doesn't feel like a fill in issue, which Not honestly. It feels like a, a solid issue. Sort of. Mostly. I mean, the fact is, the the whole, like, the building's gone crazy and tried to kill us. Why? Mm. I mean, that's a little vague you know, for me. And, and I, I know that... It's foreshadowing for what is coming. Like, literally the next issue. I can, I can get away with that. The bit I, I actually find most disappointing about the plot of this issue is that sue stops it by pulling a lever yeah and that's it you know like that's the that's the part and again logically it works because mm-hmm. she's switching off the computer core yeah they're concerned that the computer core has started has recognized them as threats she switches off the computer it stops but there's something very anticlimactic about she goes through all these trials you know everyone's getting knocked out she's almost killed and then she's like dare i press this lever if i do it might blow unless and then she presses the lever and shields herself with the invisible force shield and everything's fine. Right. You know, that, that feels very anticlimactic to me. Yeah, I it there's a way in which if it was paced differently, uh I think the idea of having the FF be attacked in the Baxter building and have everyone be taken out by but Sue essentially would have been enjoyable. In other words, it it would have been a little more dramatic if say those the two penultimate pages were actually like i don't know six pages more or less you know what i mean like yeah, it's if, sort if of you a, really concentrated on the sue solo part of it. yeah it, it it probably would have been a very satisfying sue solo issue sort of not that yeah, crazy I, I alliteration. Agree. And in a strange way this makes me think about the annuals which we talked about last episode again mm-hmm. because i really like the amount of space this issue gives to the counting down of the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. You know, that the basically Reed's there and then Reed's not there. Mm-hmm. And then it's Sue and Ben. And then Ben's not there. Yeah. I think that I'm not sure there's enough space in this issue mm-hmm. to have gotten to, to have given Sue much more space, basically. Yeah. I think it would have needed more pages overall. Again, it could have been a great standalone annual mm-hmm. because you would have space to do that. Yeah, I think so. And and I I know what wolfman's doing one of the potential charms before it really flies dramatically off the rails is the way in which at least issue 201 and 202 feel like stories that should be self-contained done in ones but not everything's wrapped up and the way that it's sort of underlined it suggests that it's part of something bigger you know? well that's just it the, the last page of 201 has read really lampshading the fact that something else is going on yeah. i've double checked computers and there's nothing wrong anywhere but i've contacted stark industries to run some further tests mm-hmm. you know for all their hey the team's back together and we're back home let's all drink champagne that follows did yeah. that that panel alone makes you think oh there's something going on here yeah no, agreed. And if uh, at least taken sort of on its own, it's like, oh, yeah, it's even the first few pieces, I am I sort of like the idea 
of, well, I do like the idea of building a larger story out of the bits and pieces. In fact, in issue 202, uh, the villain, uh, well, well, should we just move on to 202? Let's move on to 202 and then we can jump back to 201 as needed. That being said, I do think what's fascinating to me is, is that the conclusion of the story has Reed saying like, yeah, we're the fantastic four and there's a purpose that we serve in the world. And that purpose is, you know, uh, they quote some stuff from the first issue and we've been given extraordinary abilities and not to use them to benefit mankind would be to waste what we have in the most foolish manner imaginable. So there's this sense of like, we're doing this to help people. And yet it's, it's a hilarious conclusion in a way to come at the end of an issue where Where they're not doing anything to help people. They are literally being attacked by their own, uh, apartment, you know, it's exactly. Just, yeah, uh, it, it, I, I actually, but I actually really like, I like this issue overall coming out of two hundred because it feels very much like uh, a re, uh, yeah. re- restating the the purpose of the book. Yes, and, and the tone of the book. Yeah, for all of the you know bottle episodeness of the issue, mm-hmm. there is it really does go for the family and for the idea that they they are. They're a unit that works best together. Right. Which hasn't been seen in this book at this point for like a year, if not more. That That is true. That is true. You know? So I really like 201 as a, as a, as a standalone issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't hate it, but I do find it a little underwhelming. I, I mean, and honestly, underwhelming is the, is... I think going to be the strongest praise that I break out in these runs of issues. Let's <laughs> let's really okay. See. Let's go into two hundred two. Two hundred two. There's one Iron Man too many. Uh, <laughs> Marv Wolfman, John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott are yes. the ones behind this one. This feels very much like an issue of Marvel's team up. Mm. Does it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it kind of does. It kind of does. I... Because it's, it's fantastic for an Iron Man together. Against the villain you never saw coming because no one ever remembers him, Quasimodo, the living computer. That's right. Let's just say for my part, Graham, it says something that this is the second most Marvel team-uppy episode uh, in in this group of issues, uh, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, the plot of uh, Fantastic Four 202 is the groundwork was laid at the end of 201. Reed has contracted Stark Industries to see what's going on with the Baxter building. So it's no surprise when Iron Man shows up. But Iron Man just attacks the team and does a really good job of attacking the team. Mm-hmm. Over the course of, what, seven or eight pages? He basically kicks the Fantastic Four's ass. Yeah, he really does. To the point where he manages to steal the Baxter building. He decouples the top five floors of the Baxter building from the rest of the building. And then they fly out into space leaving the Fantastic Four behind. Why has Reed put that into practice? In order to appease Collins, our landlord, I installed uncoupling devices into the Baxter building. If we ever created an unpreventable danger, we'd be able to disengage our five floors from the rest of the building. Sure, but really. Hey, landlord, you know you don't like us because landlord, therefore we don't own the building. Yeah. Do you mind if I turn the top five floors into rockets? 
Yeah, into a rocket that can it's, be it's removed. Where wooden goods. Yeah, don't worry. We're not going to fly off with the top of your building, even though that's precisely what I'm setting us up to do. You exactly. understand how it is. Yeah, it's, it, it'll be fine. Just trust me. Yeah, we'll take it off uh, next month's rent, so don't worry about it. You don't have to pay for anything. So, <laughs> so Iron Man steals the building, leaving yeah. the Fantastic Four behind, and they understandably are like, well, we're going to go and see Tony Stark, because his bodyguard has just fucking stolen our building. Yeah. Tony Stark has amazing 1970s hair, the way the Bishaman's in it, drumming yeah, this. It's so true. He understandably is like, well, uh, Iron Man didn't do that, and then thinks, because I'm Iron Man. There's a lot of that in this issue, which I really enjoy. Yeah. The, Tony Stark is Iron Man. They don't know that. So you have <laughs> Iron Man seeing like Reed Richards going, you're playing with a proton tracer. And Reed Richards is like, how do you know that? <laughs> I thought you were, you were, you were stupid. And Iron Man's like, I'm not stupid. I hang out with a genius. Okay. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, the real Iron Man, because of course it was a fake Iron Man that stole the building. Yeah. And the Fantastic Four track the Baxter building. They find it in the middle of a jungle. It has been stolen by Quasimodo, the living computer. The living computer who can't move, he says, even though he is short. Okay, here is where everything that is more barely on the rails flies right the fuck off. So, who knows? Quasimodo cannot move. He says this in the dialogue. Yes. While he cannot move, he has somehow built himself a duplicate iron man who can move in his behalf but he built the duplicate iron man after he couldn't move so how he did that not incredibly obvious then while he is explaining that he can't move he moves yeah yeah he it's all of a sudden he pops up and then he explains it later i mean there's a whole situation where uh quasimodo talks about how he's paralyzed his mind the portion of my circuitry that is electronic fled yeah, it does say, fled the flesh I'd become. My essence took to the stars. My energy took me past great civilizations and worlds that lay desolate and dying. I saw salvation. I knew it was for me. It was what I was created for. Now, I don't even understand. He's basically like, yeah, I threw my body, my, my essence out into the stars. Uh, and then it came back, you know? And it's just like why or how like there's really just some this so what i think is really interesting about issues 201 through 214 apart from the fact that they're terrible is that <laughs> you really see this is the marv wolfman that wrote crisis on infinite earths not in the sense of there's cosmic pacing or world shaking ramifications but rather this is the marv wolfman who doesn't remember that he's killed someone when he starts writing the next issue this... that is your favorite marv wolfman fact this is the second time that you brought it up is it at least the second yeah, i think that it's you, amazing you love come that, on that, it's that's... an Favorite fact of a Marv Wolfman, a writer who created the new Teen Titans, who I know you love, and yet your favorite fact about this poor man is that he once forgot he killed off a character. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> like, Duh. it's not like he forgot at the beginning of Crisis on Infinite Earths 1, he was like, oh, I killed off the Monitor, and when he brings him back in issue 6... He's like, oh, da 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 da. George Perez has to call him on the phone and be like, uh, Marv, we killed him back in issue one. He died the previous month. Like, whatever was going on in Marv Wolfman's life, he was not tracking hey, the comic book that he read. We don't, the... 
Yeah. We don't know what was going on in Marv Wolfman's life. That's what I'm saying. All I can say is it was kind of going on here, too, because Quasimodo, whatever's happening with him, makes no sense in the moment, and his flashback, where he explains what was happening to him, makes no sense either. I mean, let's face it. He, it's, it's... Well, here's the thing, though. That's not, rather, that's not the only time it's going to happen in these issues, because, uh... No. I... Spoilers, everyone. When we get to the Galactus reveal, that that is amazing. There, there is so much. There is the the foreshadowing with which this slipshod issue more or less falls apart in the second half. Really, is it's a warning. Yeah, it, and it really does fall apart in the second half. So the second half of the issue is basically Iron Man versus Fake Iron Man, while Fantastic Four take on Quasimodo. That latter battle should be really easy, seeing as Quasimodo can't move, except all of a sudden he can. He can because he's being... because he has the Baxter Building. Yep, which apparently is a thing. Like that, that makes everything easier. Yeah, but the fuck no. But in the end, everything's okay because something happens to Iron Man too. He gets <laughs> he gets quote unquote overloaded. Yeah, you know you don't see what that actually means. He just disappears forever. While Cosmodo runs away in a rocket. Where did yeah. the rocket come from? Who knows. Yeah. Really, really? Oh, I think it's the Pogo plane. I think he's actually stealing the Pogo plane or something. Yeah, because there's kind of a there's four like on it. And, no, and they keep calling it a rocket, which is yeah. kind of... But it's... I mean, it, it kind, it's... He says he gained access, and he gained access to the rocket, so I'm guessing it's... If it's not the Pogo plane, it's a rocket that was on the Baxter building. Yeah. But nonetheless, he flies into space because he's following a signal, but the signal is coming from somewhere in space. What? Where? Huh? That'd be... If they had any fucking answers. Spoilers. They don't. Where is the vessel? Where is the computer that will give to me the ultimate power over every living being that breathes? Where? 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 Now, if Marv Wolfman had been... That's lost that light of dialogue from the issue, everyone. Yeah, it's great. I, I... I think that it's hilarious that, oh, okay, Quasimodo somehow is getting into space because he picked up this signal. I mean, like, you can sort of construct the parts that Marvel Wolfman left out, but, wow, it 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 takes some work. And is it worth it? No. I will say, though, that generally, for whatever reason, John Basima. I I like how Iron Man looks when John Basima is drawing it and Joe Sinnott oh, is it, inking it. it. The issue looks really good, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's and even Quasimodo is kind of it's kind of it's a it's a good looking little oneer. Um, it's, it's a shame it's, that it didn't read better. Oh my god! Yeah, it's. Hey, but hey, if you thought that wasn't any good, and I actually did like it, like I said. Yeah. And a child shall slay them. Oh. It's Fantastic Four two or three. Uh, Marv Wolfman, Keith Pollard, and Joe Sinnott. Graham, you should note that this is where Marv Wolfman is sneaking back oh, in. Oh, no, no. I noted. Okay. I noted that, Jeff. Don't you worry. Uh, what Jeff is referring to is, from this point, up until 209, Marv Wolfman starts sneaking back in the opening sentence of the, the title, mm-hmm. which, which, as everyone who has heard the first year of this podcast knows, I love dearly. Mm-hmm. So... Even though And the Child Shall Slay Them is theoretically its own sentence because the previous line ends with an exclamation point, if you want the full thing, it's the fabulous foursome against a menace they cannot fight, exclamation point, ellipses, and a child shall slay them. Although, again, 209's title is the best. It's 
just wait, people. Issue 209 is a terrible, terrible comic book that you will almost forgive for the title alone. Oh, man. I didn't just remember putting, it. I'll just have to wait till it's out there. Yeah. Just put that out there. Yeah. Anyway, and to shout just lay them really does feel like a fill-in issue. It really does. It, especially because it is unrelated to everything else that is going on around it. To the point where 204, the next issue, will pick up with the FF trying to find out what Quasimodo was looking for yeah. in 202. But there's no reference to it in 203. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, especially because oh, that's Keith Pollard drawing, if this was intended as an annual or a giant size issue. I, I, it is. You do wonder, or if maybe Jim Shooter, who is Ed in chief as opposed to Con Ed in the previous issues, has begun the process of at, trying to get issues stockpiled for the titles, and no sooner. <laughs> Then Marv and Keith get a bottle episode in there that they essentially have to have to use it. So the plot of this is the Finesse Four are called in to help with the Evans family. Mr. Evans it was a soldier who was part of an army experiment to determine the close range effects of a cosmic ray bomb, which seems to have less left his son not only in a coma, but with certain psychic powers that end up uh, creating a evil doppelganger of Fantastic Four because he hears the Fantastic Four in his bedroom. The evil doppelganger of Fantastic Four look amazing. Mm-hmm. I think, just say this right now, I'll put this in the show notes, what they look like. But it's kind of like someone said, what if you draw the Fantastic Four, but they're a bit more pointy? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Only in their heads, though. Only in their heads. Yeah. No, the, it, it really is that thing of, like, if you want to show that someone is evil, you have to show them with, like, arched, pointy eyebrows, which is... Which is the greatest yeah. in the thing. Oh, yeah. It's the whole thing is amazing. Because yeah. the thing's eyebrows are kind of impressive as is. Yeah. But evil thing is, is just amazing. Yeah. The evil FF attack the FF. And they are defeated by the FF at the end of the issue. Oh my god, it is just, it it is... That that is kind of it. It takes, the the fight between the FFs actually takes a really long time. Yeah, yeah. And And it's utterly dull, I think. It really makes no sense whatsoever. And... Uh, oh, what I do like is it's a return of a trope that we've not seen in a million years, which is, uh... Reed basically pulls a special invention out of his ass that 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 <laughs> defeats the bad guys on the next to last page. You know, it's like yes, that... they're melting. Yeah, yeah. Two bad look at them. Suddenly they're falling. How they're melting, fading from view. <laughs> uh, and we do get because uh, that's because Reed used his radi absorber because yeah. he says once I realized they were composed of cosmic energy, I returned to the Baxter Building for my new radi absorber. It literally siphoned the energy right out of them. How did he know that they were made of cosmic energy? Also, for that matter, why are they made of cosmic energy? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, for that Cos- matter... Cos- rays, like, affected Evans Jr.'s dad, and therefore he is using cosmic... Like, it's, it's super tenuous. Yeah. Oh, the whole thing is super tenuous. One of the things that bothers me is the fact that they mention that Willie Jr. buys the comic books. He's he's a fan of the Fantastic Four. 
Like they establish it on one page, and then when he hears them that they're he there, monsters. he creates monsters, which to me doesn't really make a lot of sense. Or, yeah. yeah, at all. So the whole thing is just kind. Of, what I find fascinating about it is, and this is something that nobody comments on in a marked way, is is that Willie Jr. is more or less you know, um, African-American Franklin Richards, you know, he's like a kid in a coma who has cosmic rays that he inherited from his parents. And that more or less allows him to do anything. Here's the funny thing that hadn't occurred to me at all until he said it. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. No. So I, I'm like, of course, no one mentioned it. They didn't think of it either, but you're totally right. Yeah. He is Franklin. Mm -hmm. Willie mm -hmm. Jr. is Franklin. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that it's, is amazing. I wonder if anyone ever returns to Willie Jr. The end of the issue is that Reed gives uh, the Evans Professor Xavier's card. Yes, and basically says, "Look this guy up; he'll be able to help you." I wonder if Willie Jr. ever appeared again. I would, I would bet not. I would bet not as well. I would I totally really want someone to bring him back. Yeah, well, yeah, especially now loaded as it is with this idea of like, oh yeah. Here's, here's a chance to kind of do some Franklin Richards-style stories with a character that isn't Franklin Richards so you can kind of open it up a little bit, you know? And it's, But uh, I think as we were talking about on the last issue of uh, the Baxter Building, issue, episode of the Baxter Building, um, seeing Giant Size Fantastic Four number four with Mad Rocks, the multiple man, as I said, one of the things that's great is Chris Claremont being Chris Claremont, like... Madrox does not go away. Like he gets introduced to Charles Professor X at the end of the episode issue, and sure enough, he pops up later. Willie Jr. does not. I I would be shocked if he suffers suffers if he's if he's so lucky as to have such a fate. He uh, he kind of disappears, and like I said, to me, there's something that's like it's a really clear sort of analogous situation that you know that again as you point out nobody really comments on at all and so i, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> like, really it was one of those things where i am embarrassed that i didn't see that because you were so right so yeah it's just it's just a really I weird our wolfman realized i he well see that's it it's hard not to if you well but again no, like I you said you didn't so not. yeah I don't know. Thanks for making me feel more stupid. No, no, no. It's hard not to. You ought to be a moron not to see this. No, 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 no. no. I'm just saying, I, I guess what I'm saying is it seems weird to me that someone who is creating a story for the Fantastic Four wouldn't necessarily make that kind of connection because they're the one who's thinking of things. Kind of like, huh, this seems sort of familiar somehow. I don't, hmm, I, anyway. So, yeah, now in 204, the adventure really begins, by which I mean, like, things that are sort of more... Or I mean, 204, yeah. really through 214, is one large story. Marv Wolfman really likes his long stories. Yeah, he really does. Which this... is kind of amazing, cause, and the, the other thing that's amazing is, I would say his story from, like, one, so what, 188, ultimately, through 200, mm -hmm. is a good story. And it's actually paced really well. Mm -hmm. 204 through 214 is not and no. is not. No. Well, and there is a point. Even with 204 through 214, it's sort of one big story. But I believe that 
this unless I'm mistaken, the stuff in two hundred one and two hundred two doesn't it also tie in or no? Does it, it is well, it, the it mystery does, of what's taking over the really, building? Yeah, yeah, it does really roundabout way. So two hundred one and two hundred two, uh, yeah, they do because two hundred two ultimately reveals that there is something going on in space that was sending the signal to the Baxter building in 201 to make him go insane. Yeah. And then 204, it's Reed searching for that. Yes. That it lets him discover that something is going on from the Andromeda galaxy. Mm-hmm. And what that ends up being is an alien is transported to the Baxter building. Yeah. She weirdly looks like what would happen if Dave Cockrum was given the job of designing Dazzler. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it, Keith Pollard draws it. It's a very Dave Cockrum design in my head. I think so too, because I think it's got that. Um, well, I, 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 there's a lot of hair, but especially that thing that Cockrum really loves, which is kind of the Circle eye shirt. markings, the blue yeah. eye, eye yeah. things. Yeah. No, and in fact, the the princess showing up, speaking an alien language, and then reaching out and grabbing Reed you know, sort of frantic is, is kind of the first appearance of princess Lalandra in Claremont's X-Men with Cockrum. It's just that, you know, Charles Xavier has been having these dreams leading up to it. So he thinks he's losing his mind. And this is, this is, so there is something that well, to it, me it's is, also for yeah. uh, in what, a year from this point when this was being created it really reminded me of starfire meeting robin for the first time in new teen titans mm, yeah right i think that's actually a good one too yeah so, uh, so it's it's a trope mm-hmm. put it put it out there uh, the princess from the andromeda galaxy is being she's not alone she's being chased by a scroll yes a scroll who just shows up and shoots her and then sets off a good old fight with the scroll Yes, the scroll who really seems, let me tell you, Marv Wolfman is in love with the phrase dung dog for the next couple of issues because, uh, ah boy, that's all the scrolls really seem to have going for it. So this is the thing, there's so many reasons why this sort of starts going off the rails, I guess. And for me, part of it is... The princess pops up out of nowhere. The scrolls running around, hollering "dung dog" and punching everyone. Reed guns him down with his uh, stasis ray, um, and you get to hear something about Princess Adora. Which really, the fact that her name is Adora, you're just like, I, I really, this is the man who later calls Starfire Coriander. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, uh, but... And Colander. What, and so, commander. and the thing that's scary is, is I know that that Marv Wolfman thinks that he's being sort of subtle in this issue because, without saying anything, he's using all of the imagery to underline that this all that Adora's people are closely tied to the origin of Nova, um, Marv Wolfman's superhero title that is ends up being canceled and being shoved into this storyline. And so you see all this stuff and maybe it's because you've got so much plot going on that again, you have epic star battles and planets being destroyed and then held together mysteriously by fields of force that 
they then get tied together. You would think that it, it should all be like, it's all this sweeping grandeur that you can jam into five to seven panels per page, you know, over the course of like five pages. It's just nothing. It's But, but that's just it. It's not. By the time we get into Princess Adora explaining her backstory, and it is pages and pages of exposition. Yeah. My attention was wandering. It was. There's no reason to care about her or these people. I mean, it's just, it's generic situation in a way. Uh, But and and what is what is fascinating as well is the issue then decides it also doesn't pay attention. Yeah. Because as she finishes her really really dull exposition, that is basically, I uh, I come from Alderaan. Alderaan has been attacked by the Empire. Shit. I mean the Skrulls. Yeah. Oh, and Nova. The issue's then like, let's see what Johnny's up to for the next what six seven pages. Yeah. And Johnny is going to school. And meeting someone who who nags him, and then meeting Frankie Ray, who also tells him he's a dick. Yeah. And then wonderfully goes back to FF, and he's like, "You guys, you can have the space adventure for yourself. I'm going to back to school." Yeah. It's it's not a good issue. So he, so the FF leaves uh, to go into space, with the exception of Johnny, who decides he's going back to school, but first of all wants to check if the Avengers are home, and then can he hang out with Spider Man? Spider Man's busy eating his greens and can't play right now. So he then decides he is going to go back to school, where it turns out shit's happening at his school. The monocle's there. <laughs> to be fair, he's thinking, huh, I should go back to college. And then that same day, he basically gets a special delivery letter from Security University, where the note says, Mr. Storm, we have reason to believe that you are interested in continuing your higher education. Security University is designed to meet the needs of the wealthy and famous. We provide the finest teaching staff and the greatest security from danger. For information, call blah, 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 blah. Now, which is great because Johnny's like, security college, here I come. Because, I mean, the fact that it's like, it's a really good thing that this Johnny Storm exists in a world before Nigerian spam. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh my God, that would be so great. (laughs) Because it would be Johnny being like, you guys... I should be doing something to my money. I should be investing it. What's that? A Nigerian prince needs some of it. That's great. It's pretty much how he reacts to this. He shows up and the security guard is is like, ah, yes, Mr. Storm, we were told to expect you. And Johnny says, really? I only knew it myself a few minutes ago. How could we were told about all potential students, sir? You may go ahead. And I mean, it's just Johnny's like, great like it's it is he actually is he says or rather he thinks incredible campus open spaces even the guards don't bother me i think i'm gonna like it here the guards really should bother you and in the next issue you will see even more how johnny is a fucking moron (laughs) there's a scene i'm pretty sure it's the next issue where you honestly are like johnny what is wrong with you yeah seriously i think you know the scene i'm talking about right no I oh, I, oh! You will when I you will you'll know when we get there, Jeff. Yeah. Where it's really it's just like Johnny, are you a moron? Well, what, that is what the point? question. That is what re- is, is your brain not being like that's weird? Yeah. Not even that's disturbing, but at least that's weird. And yeah. Instead, he's like, hey, shucks, this is great. 
Uh, anyway, so he signs on to school, even though, also, before he signs on, there's a fucking explosion. There's a building, building that explodes at Security University. The building just blows up. He manages to melt everything and save some people. And and they were like, thank heaven you were here. And because yeah, the dean shows up and says, it's a science lab, Mr. Storm. There's all sorts of dangerous chemicals stored there. Yeah. You could trust that we'll begin an investigation immediately. And Johnny's okay with it. Yeah, it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, then at the end, we find out that who's running the campus, but the Monocle, which is that's great. Right. Yeah. You all, everyone remembers the Monocle. I definitely didn't think it was Dr. Faustus and it was going to be revealed later on. Seriously? No, it it makes really, more really sense didn't. if it's Dr. Faustus than, than the Monocle. I'm like, the Monocle, really? I thought he had different nope. powers, but I literally can't be arse to look up his back issues. I, I completely forgot it exists. Also, the monocle right now just sounds like a Venture Brothers villain. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Completely. Completely. So, yeah, he's he's the guy who's behind it all, and we're supposed to be like, oh, God, the monocle. Exactly. Not the monocle. Whereas <laughs> whatever was like, the monocle? <laughs> exactly. He popped up in one issue of the last 200. It's like, yeah, you really got to remember. I don't know. Maybe he's been, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe other people are into it. I don't know. Dude, it's so yeah. It's two it's, it's a bad start. Yeah, to a storyline that actually will get worse. It is amazing. It's kind of like oh okay, it kind of stumbles out of the gate, but oh wow. exactly. If, if you come out of that as I did, going well, that's kind of rough. But you know, I trust Marv Wolfman. He just came off that great run. You're you're in for a bad, bad, bad discovery because two o five. The fabulous FF find themselves in a terrible battle beyond our galaxy when worlds die. That sounds like an exciting comic. I'd love to read that. Oh, no way. To w- no, I wouldn't. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. The FF gets zapped into space. They end up in the middle of a, a terrible war mm-hmm. between the Skrulls and the Zandar- Zandarans? Zandarians? Zan- Z- I don't know. I don't know. The Zandarites? Zen, the, guy, yeah. the guys from Xandar is all you really need to know. Here's the thing. That should be exciting. Because mm-hmm. really, if nothing else, Wolfman and the readers will remember the Kree Skrull War. Yeah. Which, you know, is a beloved comic book storyline. And this manages to make intergalactic war dull. Oh, so dull. It's so dull. Because there's, there's nobody... It's It, it is... Wolfman is trying for the Kree Scroll War and more or less ends up on the Matrix Reloaded side of things in the sense of like, hey, you know, it'd be great. What if I introduce all of these characters that you don't like and don't care about and well, that are utterly like, generic? Like, you've never, yeah, you've never heard of. Yeah. And we spend a lot of time with them and yet you're never given any re- reason to care about them in any real way. You know, yeah, it's it's just. I I want to read the the first caption on page one because it is clear that what Wolfman really wanted was it to be projected like in big yellow font against a a starscape and recede into the distance while John Williams' music plays. Adora, suzerain of a world split in four parts in the Andromeda galaxy was pursued to Earth by a demon scroll. Now, 
Reed Richards, his wife Sue, and the monstrous orange-hided thing return to her war-torn world with hopes of liberating it from their alien invaders. Ugh. And then, and like a, a star destroyer comes in from the, the yeah, top right hand, well, yeah, which is great. It's 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 practically the same opening. If instead of a big star destroyer, you have the fact that Reed Richards is being transported halfway up Adora's cooch. I mean, not only is she sort of upskirting <laughs> all of us, it is it is kind of amazing because the proportions should not like the perspective does not work like that unless you believe that reed richard's head is tiny yeah and that he is somehow stretched between andora's andora's legs yeah it's that because that's not how proportion works yeah it's it's and yet it somehow is yeah so following that and it's great because here you see wolfman being like Sit back now, steady yourself. When you turn the page, you will be transported into a world of wonders, the like of which you've never seen before. And you turn the page, and you get a double-page spread of dudes and spaceships shooting one another. And I'm like, uh... and, and, and it's really, it's it's overly busy. Yeah. There's no, there's actually no sense of grandeur because it is so busy. Yeah. The spaceships are utterly generic. It, it's a terror. It's a waste of the a double proportions. The proportions again are off. Like you can't really tell what you're supposed to be looking at at any point. I mean, yeah. it's just. It, it's a mess of a double page yeah. Keith Pollard and Joe Sinnott are the artists in this one, and it doesn't work. No, it, it just doesn't work. There is, let's see, how many pages are there really? That's five, six. So there's six pages of of opening conflict, including a scene on top of the uh, inside the scroll warship mm-hmm. where the scrolls are plotting, and it's just super fucking dull. But then hilariously, Wolfman overplays his hand by cutting to the Watcher, who appears to. Basically be like, oh, I, I got them involved in this one because this is cosmically important. But you know what else is cosmically important? Johnny Storms in school, which is my favorite <laughs> terrible bridging thing. <laughs> and here we cut to the part where Johnny is a fucking moron. Okay? Yeah. I made the correct choice, he thinks. I'm sure of it now. On any other campus, I'd be I looked on something special. Only here would I fit like the preferable glove. Not even the security cameras bother me. <laughs> <laughs> security to make sure we'll all be safe. Johnny, there's fucking security cameras in everyone's bedroom. Yeah, that doesn't seem weird to you, Johnny. <laughs> it is true. He's kind of like, oh, I'm sure, so glad I decided to go back to college at Chuck Berry's hotel. Uh, yeah, no, it's terrible. I mean, security cameras. You're right. That part was. I was I like, really? It's this, like this should this should bother me, but here I just think they're trying to keep me safe. Really, Johnny? I, I really? Just, I I love the idea that the subtext is is like Johnny, who's always been an exhibitionist, is really into this because it's well, basically really the next time you see him, he is in the shower. That's what I'm saying. He's like. There's my security camera up there. What's he doing? He's starting to take off his clothes. The next time we see him, he's in the shower. Then he's walking out of the shower naked, like drying himself off. But I mean... Which, uh, which I do love that Marv Wolfman thinks it's important to show us and tell us that Johnny stepped from the shower, increasing his internal temperature to in- instantly dry himself off. Yeah. I love that. Johnny's yeah. like, fuck towels, man. 
Towels are for losers. Which, yeah, again, so I don't know. So apparently, Johnny Storm's very excited to finally be at Peekaboo University because this is. This is kind of what turns his crank, and yet what he doesn't realize is that the security cameras actually also are programming everyone to walk around in their underwear uh, into... This is great. Mindlessly, Johnny falls in line with hundreds of other somnambulistic students, their mission to be revealed another time. I'm sorry, what was that, Graham? easy for you to see yeah right it clearly was i just love the idea that that marv wolfman's like well you know i just feel like count floyd from sctv here is like i do know how scary sleepwalkers can be like it's just like (laughs) it's the greatest thing and also that is it for the issues and it's like let's get back into space seriously everyone's like johnny sleepwalking let's get back into space i also just love the idea that the watcher is kind of like okay here it is Oh, look, the galaxy shall die screaming and, oh, hold on, Johnny's getting in the shower. You know, like, it's just kind of like, I'm going back to Earth. Got to check in on this. This is super important. And Johnny's like, I feel great. Time to go it's to like, bed. Look yeah. at all these cameras. I've never been so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we cut back to the planet Xandar. Where things get even more dull as oh, Adora God, yes, yells. Yeah, Adora's really upset because her boyfriend, who we've seen in one flashback panel, saying literally it. nothing, I think maybe apart from like, don't worry, my princess, I shall protect you. We're supposed to care that this nothing burger is like stuck in a tanning bed and she's like, Tannic, by the lords of Okar, what has happened to him, Master Czar? Which I'm just like, everything about that. Exactly, everything about the line of dialogue tells you everything is wrong with this storyline. No, this must not be true. Please, Master Czar, tell me he will live. He must live. He must. I'm not making this up, people. No, I, actually, it's laid a dialogue. Yeah, it's it really does hit that sweet spot between Master Venture Czar, Brothers. Tonic dies, and nothing will stop me from destroying her foes single-handedly if I must. Yeah, I love the idea. That, like the implication there is that she could have done this without the FF, but she's been holding back. I just love the idea that she's single-handedly going to destroy. Like part of me is like, come on. Let's keep your vengeful oaths realistic. You know what I mean? It's a space fleet. What are you going to do? Wait till they land? and Yeah, seriously. Just like, well, I'm just going to start fucking things up. Like, she have, like, metal hands? Like, I don't know. What's amazing is is that (laughs) I can't... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Metal hands is what you think would single-handedly destroy a space fleet? Oh, come on, Graham. I read Kirby comics. Nothing beats metal hands, uh, you know. (laughs) She can just karate chop through things. From my search of the universe is like, that's right, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. You know, seriously. Uh, My my whole point is, is I really do wish that uh, Princess Adora, that if if you actually can read her dialogue as if it's being recited by uh, Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters. It pretty much works because that is the level. The whole point where Rick Moranis is stumbling around being like a ferocious snorg. Many enemies died on that day. That is totally how she's talking. And unfortunately, how everyone talks on these boring-ass pages. That being said, Graham, what do you think of what on my copy is page 17? 
the living computers of Xandar. Honestly, here's what I thought. I was going to try and be a smartass, but here's honestly what I thought when I got to that. Oh, they really want to try and do Kirby, and they're failing. Yeah, it really just doesn't work. Although it is, to me, the best part of the issue, really, which doesn't really say well, much. Uh, but there's, there's so much of it, because, you know, you, you get Master Czar beforehand going, we still possess a virtually inexhaustible supply of power, to which Adora says, you cannot mean the computer, Master Czar, to use it for war would be sacrilegious. Why is a computer an inexhaustible supply of power? I mean, I get that it's a living computer. Also, Reed, Reed fucking loves it, though. This is the most advanced computer network I've ever seen, he says. Yeah. Reed, it defies description, he says, too. <laughs> yeah, and Ben says, no, think about it. He just described it by saying this is the most advanced computer network I've ever seen. That is a description, Sue. Actually, he says, bah, I've seen better in Forbidden Planet, which, again, is that classic, like, there are times where perhaps Ben Grimm's lampshading uh, is best off being ignored by writers perhaps i think because it really does it's like two on the nose i'm like oh yeah forbidden planet but yeah it really is how the fuck are the computers going to help it would actually be kind of interesting if it was generally genuinely sacrilegious to use computers for a certain end you know what i mean like that could be interesting is that anything that's not anything what happens is uh, there's more boring exposition. I think at some points they, they actually get the low-tox beam. The low-tox beam. The low-tox beam beams everyone into another room so that they can watch the scrolls overrun the farm world. On television. Oh, my God. And then they're like, no, let's fight them. It's what nuts. If you're listening to this thinking, they're making this sound really dull. We're not. Oh, God. We are now, at this point, we are now 26 pages into the issue, or it's page 26, including the ads, so probably mm-hmm. like eight, 18 pages into the issue. Um, and it's that dull. It really like, is. The high point of this issue genuinely is Johnny getting excited there's security cameras in his bedroom. That that, and the fact that you realize the scrolls are really into dogs. Emperor Doric, I must have a word with you. Silence, Scanman. Scanman. Scanman Crothers. Or I shall feed you to the dogs for their meal. Scanman from now on. Shut up, Scanman. Shut up, Scanman. Silence, Scanman. So, or I shall feed you to the dogs for their meal. And then two panels later. By the demons of the Dog Star. They should have proven ripe pickings. We should have destroyed them in three runs. Which, like, what? So, and then, where's, where is it? Then they call them dung dogs on the next day. We should yeah. destroy the three runs. Really sounds oh like God. Marvel movement has watched Star Wars. I mean, like the Kessel Run. Yeah, that sounds exactly. great. Yeah, we should destroy them in three runs. He's like, if only they could work Parsec in there somewhere. Yeah, no kidding. I love the fact that Marvel Wolfman actually stripped out all the science words and then just took what was left. Anyway, so at a certain point, uh, they're, they're fighting the scrolls. It's dull, but to me, the most exciting part is is that the scrolls yell out. By the Scroll Supreme, the orange-skinned dung dog from Earth. It's, ah, oh, the dung dogs. It's it's one thing when I thought it was just dung dogs, but frankly, the scrolls are really into dogs. They're dog people, which, but not really in, like, the cool way, I guess. So Yeah, yeah, like, I'm a dog person, and yet I wouldn't shout dung dog. I don't think so either, unless Stop it was affectionately. tarring me with your dog people. Who's a good little dung dog? Propaganda. Who's a little good dung dog? I mean, I'm pro-dogs. I'm oh, just saying the scrolls dog. are, like, yeah. The issue uh, ends with all of the Fantastic Four being knocked unconscious and taken on board the Skrull ship, 
leading back to Master Zara and Adora freaking out. Suzerain, the Skrulls have captured our friends. Now they take them back to the Skrull world. That means they're doomed. No one has ever left Skrull world alive. And if the Fantastic Four are defeated, how long will it be before Xandar falls as well? Who gives a shit? Exactly. That is literally what I was going to say. Who gives a shit about Xandar? It is goddamn boring as shit. I mean, it really is. That classic Marvel fan, like, oh, God, if the Fantastic Four fall, what's going to happen to Xandar? I'm like, well, let's, let's reverse that. Also, let's face it. No one has ever left Skrull World alive. There's a lot of scrolls out in space. Clearly, they were able to get off the planet. I, we know what they were thinking, but like Princess Adora, really, seriously, put these things together. Like, get it together. Seriously, you know, I, I feel, I feel like, uh, I feel like Michael Bluth talking to Buster in Arrested Development. Maybe you should just, uh, you know, buddy, get a little dictaphone, say these things aloud, and listen to them a little bit before you actually say them out loud in public. <laughs> So, yeah, Princess Adora is uh... – now, issue 206, I have to say, is completely dull again. But there's <laughs> something about the cover by Pollard and Senate that um... – you know, I don't – there's this weird Isn't disconnect. Is it the Scroll is wearing? You know, it's – there's it is. It must be Isn't between – the outfit, the Skrull? Yeah. Like, really seriously? Because he looks ridiculous. It's great. The Skrull I... jury has rendered his verdict. And the yeah. sentence is – Death. There's something about issue, the cover to 206 that gets me every time. And you know what it is? It is, I think, between the fact that the scroll with the glasses looks kind of like the one of the main characters from DR and Quinch, that I'm like, it's weirdly Alan Davis y to me. You know? Like, it's, I don't. It's the, it's the glasses. I think it's the glasses. Uh, maybe it's the, the, the clean yellow behind it or something. It's very strange. Like anyway, if you're really into scrolls, this is the issue for you because you get to see so many green wrinkled chins. Um, and, oh God, I just, ugh. (laughs) Uh, Graham, I don't even really know how to recap this. Okay. 206 is actually the issue where I was like, what the fuck? 206, the death of Ellipses, the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Short version, the Fantastic Four are tried in Skrull World, on Skrull World, which is the most ridiculous trial ever. Yeah. It includes at one point Reed Richards saying, you have us, that's what you've always wanted. Now leave Xandar alone. Why would they do that, Reed? When they actually attacked Xandar entirely separate of you. Yes. And it was Adora that went to get you. They don't give a shit about you now. The ego on you is fantastic, Reed Richards. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the just uh, justice is served? Not exactly. Judgment is served. Judgment are they fantastic? Is served. Mm-hmm. They all get zapped. Are they dead? No, but kind of, because they've been sentenced to rapid aging. Uh, I hate to interrupt, but let's say by page seven, how many times do you think the word dog has popped up? <laughs> Have you just counted? Uh, it's, it's, it's like four. Yeah, it's at least four. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, exactly. 
yeah, page two, there's no power that exists that can stop us, and scum dog, we will brook no insults from inferiors. Then two pounds later, we don't want you to die, dog. Oh no, you must be given a fair trial. To be fair, he then later calls yeah, them a mudworm. Mudworm, but, yeah, I was going to say, mudworm is not a dog. And, However, and on page snack. three, dogs, you yes. have been accused of treason against the Skrull Empire. Yeah, yep, exactly. And then uh, on page seven, uh, Jackage, Jackage, hurry, you slow-moving dung dog. So, yeah, it's all very exciting. And then later, Earth Slime. But the dog, it's really into the dog. It is, it is all about the dogs. It, it's sad to say that that genuinely is, like, one of the most interesting things about this issue. Yeah, is how dogs... BFF escape captivity, even though they've already been zapped. And they run away. They steal a spaceship. They... I just want to cry. Um, Adora's boyfriend wakes up because that's something that I guess we're supposed to care about because oh. that actually gets like a page of screen time. Oh, don't don't forget the two pages where the completely boring Prime Thoran ends up walking into the Hall of Brains and manages to get the brains to like um, basically. Prime Thoran feels his spirit forsake his body. He seems to rise from the platform, then join the embryonic liquid that sustains the living minds. Prince Thoran knows he's been torn apart and reassembled into something very different, into something powerful. Which, I gotta say, again, it pretty much looks like uh, Prince Thoran is being attacked by a lot of giant brains. Um, it's kind of... This issue just goes on to suck more and more. It is really this, dull. This issue just goes on. I think it's it a does. really good way of putting it. Though. Yeah, yeah. I because made it through it, issue. It, it, it is nonstop, but yeah. it's it sucks the life out of you to the point where on the second last page, yeah, it is the second last page, Nova and his buddies, the shittiest super team ever, including, by the way, the Sphinx. You remember him from last episode, <laughs> listeners, where Jeff and I hated the Sphinx so much? He's yeah. back because... What could make the storyline worse? The Sphinx. The Sphinx. Anyway, uh, they show up, and it is the most understated guest appearance ever by another Marvel superhero. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the next the next page includes what seems to be the spaceship of the Fantastic Four getting blown up in the last-minute cliffhanger. And I am not joking when I say that my interest in the storyline was at an all-time low by the time that <laughs> happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to it. But one of the things that I think is hilarious uh, for people who don't necessarily know um, Nova, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today. I came dangerously close um, back when the last Marvel BOGO sale at Comixology, which for Amazon is essentially a half price off sale. The, the Marvel, the digital version of the Marvel Masterworks for Nova, I almost pulled the trigger on and couldn't because they were terrible. Yeah, because you remember what it's like and it's this bad. Yeah, it, one of the things I find interesting is to digress a little bit is, is the first issue of Nova is Marvel fan John Basima and Joe Sinnott and telling the story, which is kind of basically a what if the Marvel Universe decided to rip off Green Lantern from the DC Universe? But it's kind of done really well for me. As a kid, I remember being really into it. The Basima and Senate work is 
is kind of gorgeous. Wolfman's like launching the first issue. Rich Rider is a whiny teen straight from Peter Parkersville, but somehow even whinier. And what's remarkable, I think, about the Nova series and worth mentioning here for their appearance, his appearance here is, is that that first issue, which is pretty strong, nothing great, but strong enough that I remember as a kid finishing it and being really excited to pick up the next issue and having that enthusiasm be beaten out of me for 20 <laughs> plus issues until the series concluded. John Basima <laughs> leaves early. He ends up being replaced by Carmen Infantino. Carmen Infantino, who admittedly is in his super angular phase, but that's a dude who used to be able to design an outfit. That is not the case. By the time that Nova shows up here, he and most of the guys that he has fought it out with over the course of his 20-some-odd issues have literally teamed together to blast into space. And the new champions, as they called, are amazing in that the only thing more boring than their designs, you have a guy in a purple suit, you have a human brain in the world's dullest computer body. You have a character called the Comet who kind of looks like um, he should be called the Rooster. There's Crime Buster who looks like he should be called Colorblind. There's Diamond Head who really looks like he should be called No One Really Knows How to Draw a Talking Diamond. And then there's the Sphinx <laughs> who should be called... Never use the Sphinx ever again. Yeah, please stop using the Sphinx. He's sort of like Darkseid. If Darkseid was, I don't know, trying to dress like a hippie mom in a commune out in New Mexico, <laughs> essentially, I guess. Um, all those characters come together. An amazing dullness of design meeting an, a boringness, boringness of uh, execution. No, conception. Boredom of conception meeting a dullness of execution in a remarkable it it's amazing that they show up and manage to drag the story even lower like it you actually have people like powerhouse saying things like Dr. Sun is correct I must know if my family still lives and then the Sphinx says at last my ages long quest is at an end the answers I have long sought are here and Everyone is given more or less a motivation, and it's all dull. Dull. Oh, it's so dull, Graham. It's so dull that when the FF blow up in the end, you're kind of like, why couldn't I go with them? Why? <laughs> and what is great about the blowing up at the end, though, is that FF207, the next issue, doesn't feature any of those characters at no. all. No. It is instead the, why is Johnny loving security cameras and getting hypnotized and sleepwalking issue yeah in entirety which yeah. as you pointed out is actually a marvel team-up issue this is because the, it's really a spider-man story it, it is a marvel team-up issue that is so marvel team-uppy that somehow graham forgot that he'd read it as part of this run and was thinking back to some issue of marvel team-up he read recently sadly, sadly that's kind of true yeah so basically the Human Torch, who we saw last time, had been hypnotized uh, sleepwalking in his underwear. The Monocle has even more devious powers. He has created Security University so that the children of the rich and the famous come to a school where they can be protected. 
and in fact are now being hypnotized to go out and take all the valuable things that the rich, famous, and important know. So, I mean, in a way, there's almost something that's kind of trenchant about this storyline if it wasn't for the fact that it's not. So Exactly. What's the fact that it's actually surprisingly dull? Oh, so dull. You know, it's funny. People listening in the last episode is us talking about Saul Basima and Joe Sinnott and talking about their appearance um, in the FF annual number 13 written by Bill Mantlo and kind of saying like, oh, I I would like to see them. I wish they could have done more FF. Sadly, this is close as we can get. And it's kind of a big drop-off in a lot of cases. Again, I find it fascinating that almost uh, the majority of uh, the faces Senate is not really taking the time to do much. He, I think he's really dig Sal Basima. But, oh, God. Uh, you get to see Peter Parker. He's hired by Barney Bushkin to um, infiltrate Security University, which, let's face it, Security University is not very secure because Peter Parker basically more or less shows up and is Just like, walks in. I've got an interview with the headmaster and the guard is like, sure, go right in. Even yeah, though we made it a point to establish two issues ago that we keep track of everyone that comes and goes and everyone's being monitored. So I have no problem with that because for me, all the guards are like, well, everyone's just going to get hypnotized as soon as they fall asleep. Sure. Sure, I can sort of see that if it wasn't for the previous... Uh, anyway, wh- whatever, it's fine. So the security guard catches uh, Peter Parker taking pictures, grabs his camera, smashes it, uh, misspells the word breach and breach of security, uh, and then they basically send send Peter Parker to the one room that does not have any sort of special preparation to allow him to become hypnotized, which that if you is think my about favorite, it, that they're like, we've got this new guy. Let's send him to the one room that isn't set up yet. Yeah, exactly. That'll be fine. So Peter Parker gets to see everyone walk off on their underwear is kind of like, and load into trucks is like, that's the kind of scene that I want to be in on changes. Spider-Man goes out to an army base where everyone's standing around in their underwear starts. Uh, the human, torch flips out for some reason why what what is it the the kids are all now being are are now attacking the army base in their night clothes uh, and and taking out dynamite i don't know it's just it's a the sad thing is it's not a good issue of marvel team up like it's pretty goddamn dull seeing spider-man and the torch jump around um at one point spidey at the torch keeps uh more or less changing loyalties as the monocle keeps zapping him with the monocle and making him do things. Uh, and at one point, Spider-Man actually uses his new f- flame-proof uh, web formula to web up the Human Torch, who then frees himself a page later, to which Spider-Man says, how did you free yourself? You were webbed up. And Human Torch says, I'll tell you about it someday when we both have a spare minute between adventures. Which is hilarious. <laughs> don't ask, okay? Just, just don't ask. Yeah, don't like, ask. Just, I just don't buy myself. it. I just, yeah. Just, here is honestly my takeaway from this issue. Yeah. Bushema and Sinet draw a terrible Spider-Man. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. Which is funny because honestly, 
I would not have expected that. As a guy who read a lot of Sal Basima and Bill Mantlo's Marvel team-up, I remember it being a little on the generic side, but kind of not as bad as this is. I don't know. Just everything about this is, you know, you would think was a fill-in issue if it wasn't for the fact that it was, you know, fastidiously set up, uh, or at least as much as Marv Wolfman can muster, I adore the fact that you have the monocle fleeing the human torch. He has double, uh, double crossed the co- mysterious shadowy collective of dudes who the speak enclave. from the shadows, the enclave. Yeah. And he appears to pay for it because his ship explodes. You cut to the shadowy enclave pointing out that they have Madame Medusa of the uncanny and humans captured and tied up and put in like a special um, air hair controlling and thing. then yeah exactly and then basically a newfangled hair rollers and good news everyone I can tell you from personal experience that does not pay off or is even mentioned again for the next six months of this comic so it's, it's kind of amazing right they're like we've got this amazing cliffhanger hope you don't care yeah, exactly. Because if you do, you're going to end up being pretty frustrated. And Hope if you're you not interested in this plot whatsoever, don't worry. We're going to punish you by going back to the Sphinx story. So I kind of dig the fact that, uh, in some ways, as far as I can tell, whoever crafted the issue, the cover of issue 208, basically took that one full page shot of the living computers. Um, more or less drew the Sphinx fighting the FF on top of it and called it a day. So it it works fine though. Two eight to five Fantastic Four are reunited against the power of the Sphinx. It's we're back in space. I, I, I'm honestly just like really. Oh God! <laughs> so it turns out that Sue's saved everyone from the exploding spaceship with her force shields because, of course, she has. Yes. They're rescued by Nova. Nova's like, "Hey, you guys! It's actually the Fantastic Four. Ben, thankfully, is like, "Hey, it's the Sphinx. We just recently had a fight with you." And he's like, "Well, you only beat me because I wasn't really trying. Do you want to go now? Do you want to? Do you want to go now? Do you want to?" And then everyone says. This story is very boring, you guys. Yeah. Can we just move on? Johnny joins them in space pretty much by going, I'm done with my adventure. I'm going to go to the Baxter building. Yeah. Burn a hole through the wall and press the button and be teleported to exactly where they are. (laughs) All works out surprisingly well. Yeah. Um, And I I honestly have lost track of what else happens. For some reason, the Sphinx just double crosses everyone. Well, because this is the chance that he's been waiting for. Again, it makes no sense if you haven't since, been following the Nova since, stuff, but yeah. Yeah, but also since the, the Fantastic Four Annual 12, which was, I think at this point, came out like a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, yeah, almost a year yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. it came mm-hmm. out, uh, FF Annual 12, FF Annual 12, in fact, was 1977. Oh, yeah, you're right. So it's this actually two years. This is 1979. Yeah, so yeah. Two mm-hmm. years earlier. Yep. This yep. pays off something come two years earlier. Uh, but he has his power and he's growing up now and he's giant. And hope no one really cares about the scrolls anymore because all of a sudden the Sphinx is the big bad guy from the storyline. Yeah. And again, there's so much, you know, 
the the scene with the prime Thoran who's been like changed into a power greater than humanity and uh, basically like ends up the being who was prime Thoran is like a lampant flame, a luminous, a luminous Phaethon riding his chariot high to the sun, lighting up the heavens, even as he soars skyward. He pauses ever so briefly and beckons the others to follow him. And for reasons they do not understand, follow him they do. So uh, basically everyone's into like having a big, like the prime Thoran is fighting the scrolls. This character is, has no impact, less than no impact. We've seen him do nothing. We know nothing about him. All that he said has been bullshit. Uh, it it really is. This is the Kree Scroll War done wrong, done so so wrong. In that you don't care about anyone. New characters are introduced that you couldn't care less about, and connections are made to other old stories that no one really wants to remember. So. Uh, <laughs> So there's a great shot of Reed like looking up, uh, upskirting the Sphinx, and that's about as exciting as it gets, basically. So uh, the Sphinx does stuff like, I can draw the power of a sun, and then I can shoot the sun at you, and then I can blow things up, and then you can fly around in circles. The Sphinx, who has the power to essentially do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it, is unsurprisingly a boring-ass villain. And watching, but it's it. so it's so weird that he becomes the villain. Yeah. At this point, Zanzarians were going, "We're gonna get our asses kicked by the scrolls. We're gonna get our asses kicked by the scrolls." The scrolls don't even fucking appear in this issue. And for the next few issues, the plot is now: we have to stop the Sphinx. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's supposed to feel like a. It's. Honestly, it kind of reminds me. It it makes me have a lot more um, appreciation for Jonathan Hickman's Infinity miniseries, you know, because Hickman's Infinity also has a similar thing of it's a big space war that starts off with these characters, but then rapidly grows to include those characters. And then the next thing, you know, you have the heroes caught up in yet another impossible mission. And, and the idea being that the stakes are more or less changing as the situation sort of organically grows larger and larger in scope. But, um, wow. But it, just, it, it just feels like a weird diversion. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it it doesn't feel like oh shit, something's happened. It feels like Wolfman's kind of lost interest in his own story, yeah. and it's like, well, this will work. Okay, FF two hundred nine. I promised you this would have the best title. Are you ready? I am. And this is all one sentence. The fabulous FF battle for their lives, even as they find themselves trapped in the sargasso of space. <laughs> That's the title of the issue. The Fabulous FF fighting for their lives, even as they find themselves trapped in the sargasso of space. Yeah. Yep. Uh... I just want to say also that Wolfman has been adding these, like, the, the pre-title strap lines. Mm-hmm. So the, the title is theoretically trapped in the sargasso of space. But still, he's been adding these pre-title strap lines. Yeah. The next issue, 210, is a four-word title, as is 211. And it's the first time in... I think two years that this comic has not had an exclamation point or any punctuation in its title. Wow. Okay. It's well, kind of as if Jim Shooter was like, this is getting, 
this is getting out of hand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so also noteworthy is issue 209 is uh, the illustrators are Joe Sinnott on inking and a Mr. John Byrne showing up on pencils. Um and uh John, John Byrne in very 1979 John Byrne yeah, like do you know what I mean it, it's yeah. it's not the Byrne that shows up later no in Fantastic no no, no it's no. it's a much more generic but also honestly kind of more fitting with where the comic is right now John no, Byrne no absolutely it's great that he's fitting in uh you know it's kind of surprising there's like a few little touches that are are fun in this issue that are very Byrne like. And I know it's almost impossible that people can actually associate burn with fun, but that's that's a thing that that's a thing we used to do that you could you you didn't feel the cognitive dissonance when you did it. Um, you can also see how John Byrne more or less did this, and afterwards was like, I could fucking write the Fantastic Four because the Sargasso space is. I don't know if it's actually worse than the other issues, but it, it has even less of a point. I I think Wolfman is trying to craft this huge cosmic epic because the, I don't know, I guess is the revealed, it's not revealed at the beginning that they're in search of Galactus, right? No, it is. Sue's first word balloon on page one is, so that's what you're building to help us find Galactus. No wonder that's you true. are so secretive. <laughs> that's that's utterly true. So I I somehow missed that the first read through because the Galactus thing was like oh when I when I saw yeah. it first I was like oh that's somewhere to go yeah it's somewhere to go it says so much about how this book is run that you're just like there's no well is that how it is oh yes actually issue two oh eight again so unmemorable is Reed Richards is the fate of the Earth perhaps the universe itself rests in the hands of Galactus. So it starts with... <laughs> so yes, nothing made an impact in way, apparently. Yeah, it, it just, it doesn't. So it starts off with the creation of Herbie, um, who many of us know from the short-lived Fantastic Four cartoon where uh, the Human Torch did not appear. Um, as And again, Wolfman seeming to enjoy his Hollywood in-jokes he has uh, Johnny say, like, I was out of town the day the contracts needed to be signed. And they point out the fact that it is the robot from the cartoon show and and which Ben calls th that cartoon show reject. And Reed says, pipe down, Ben. I've been working on this design for months when the producers of our cartoon show needed a replacement for Johnny. I was reminded of this. So Herbie shows up. And I do appreciate the fact that the front page, the, the cover actually says, introducing Herbie the robot, beware, he's not what he seems to be. I I think that's hilarious because sadly, you just see him uh, basically be obnoxious in the way that most post R2-D2 robots are during this era, you know? Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, back in, again, there's more stuff going on with the scrolls. Like you actually have the cowardly scroll emperor be shot in the back by Empress Raquel. So uh, you would think Empress that would Raquel. Raquel. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I'm like, because Empress again, Marv Wolfman loves to take a, a word we all know and then spell it weirdly and pretend it's an alien. It works word. for Jeff, apparently. So uh, 
the Sakarso of ships. I don't... Why do they even come in and start fighting the periwinkle monsters from the other planets? Is there a because, reason? Because of filler. Oh, okay. It, it's because Wolfman seems to think that the longer a story goes on, yeah. the more epic it is. Yeah. And that's not actually true. <laughs> it's just longer. Yeah. And so he introduces... Just countless complications. Mm-hmm. We have to go to the Sargasso ships where, you know, Ben can make jokes about it. It's where Battlestar Galactica went to die. And we can meet some bug aliens, which are really generic John Byrne bug aliens. Yeah. I feel like he's used this design on countless occasions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't add anything to the story. Yeah. It doesn't serve any purpose for the Fantastic Four's greater mission yeah yeah there's even just kind of a sense of this has dozens and dozens of characters in it and there's just not nothing really matters even even empress raquel like backstabbing the emperor and having everyone else be like your wishes are command empress raquel like it means there's just no investment here there there is nothing at stake like there's the fate of a universe that you couldn't really care about at this point with all these characters that have no characterization at all. And even if they did, there's no narrative drive. You know what I mean? Like there's no personal stakes. I am not so crazy as people who listen to the wait, what podcast know of the way in which modern screenwriting templates have turned so many superhero comics into stories in which there have to be personal stakes for the heroes, you know? And yet, certainly, I understand the appeal of it when faced with this, where nothing is happening in a way that makes you personally invested in it at all, except the sense of spectacle, which the issues do not have. They just That's don't. the thing. It's it's the sargasso of... of spaceships should have felt like a thing yeah it should it should have felt like a reveal like a moment and it really didn't and that's that's going all across all of these stories every moment that seems like it should feel like a big reveal does not yeah i mean look at that john byrne he knows how to pace a story and i can only feel that either he didn't give a crap already or he just felt too jammed in with plot because yeah, the actual Sargasso of ships is maybe reduced down to half of one page. And it just all looks like just a bunch of crap, just a bunch of floating space driftwood. And, uh, uh, it, it, uh, blah. Anyway, so at the end, I think part of the reason why is like, oh, we finally get to see Galactus, even if it is just the mysterious... The, the you know, spectral image of Galactus. Yeah, the symbolic the imagery of, of Galactus. Galactus. Yeah, which is why I think you and I both were like, oh, this is the big reveal. This is where we find out who, we, who they're after. But no, no, it's we've known it all along. So there's not even that sense of development or emergence it's just kind of like well we got through that so now we can get to this and And... what's very interesting Mm -hmm. is 210 they they find galactus but they find galactus relatively early on they find galactus early enough Mm -hmm. in the issue 
that they could have found Galactus as the cliffhanger for the previous issue. Because you get an opening scene which is essentially, we're batting off the meteors that are coming towards the ship. Oh no, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. But that is so perfunctory yeah. that six pages in, they've already found Galactus. They could have found Galactus at the end of the previous issue and you would have had a sense of development. Yeah. But even after finding Galactus, you get an issue of filler that then leads to a cliffhanger that is also filler. Yeah. So they find Galactus, they can't get his attention. In order to get his attention, they uh, unleash all the animals in his space zoo. Why does Galactus have a space zoo? That's a really great question. It is. It is. It's Why kind does Galactus of... zoo, Jeff? No, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I think that it's one of those weird... Um... Honestly, it just re- it just feels like some that Marvel Wolfman has read too many comic books, you know? Like it's just kind of well, of course, everyone has a cosmic zoo in a Silver Age comic book story, you know? But yeah. there is no point Galactus doesn't have any he doesn't have any interest. You know what I mean? Like Galactus is one of the things that's great about Galactus is he he only does one thing. You know, and just shows up and he eats your planet at the end. Yeah, exactly. The idea that he's got like hobbies, the fact that he's got like pets hanging around, like there's a point where the FF are fighting what looks like a giant vacuum cleaner, you know, and that's about as exciting as it gets. Like it really is. Oh, gosh. Well, anyway, they managed to get catch Galactus's uh, attention. Which, as you point out, is the sort of thing that in, in a in a Lee Kirby FF, hell, even in a Roy Thomas issue of FF, would take maybe a quarter of the space. Not this entire issue. When they get his attention, mm-hmm. Galactus says, eh, not really into it. If you do something for me, I'll do something for you. Scratch my galactic back. I'll scratch your galactic back. Yeah. And then sends him on a mission to get a new herald, which again just feels like filler. Yeah. Wolfman is just throwing complications into the plot that don't actually tie into the central plot. Well, I think he what he thinks he's doing is telling this majestic space epic that, you know, has the FF in space. Let's not I mean, this is the other thing that's amazing is is that Back in 206, they've been blasted with the scroll aging ray that is killing three of the Fantastic Four. Uh, and so there's supposed to be a sense of stakes and times running out. And in fact, in the first few pages of 211, you have Byrne showing uh, Reed and Sue aging slightly in a way that I think is kind of subtle and fun. Uh, but... I, I will say that I do like Burns aging of the characters in this storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it does start relatively subtle. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but does grow with each issue. Yeah, it does. And that which should be fun. And yet Oh, I, I should also say that um this issue, just looking at the last page, ends with Reed's withdrawing the the vow that yes. he made Galactus swear to leave Earth alone. So he basically says, You can eat Earth as long as you save it from the Sphinx. Which, honestly, is a dumbass idea. Right. It completely is. And at every point, people are like, Reed, are you sure that's a good idea? And he's like, quiet, lad, I know what I'm doing. And uh, 
it just makes no sense. It just makes no sense. So the creation of Terax is, again, one of those things where... Oh, I don't know. I Part of me is like, I guess if you're really a big Galactus nerd, it seems very exciting because it's... A, here you have... But, uh, have have we moved on to 211, which is the Terax issue? Oh, yeah, Hilarious I am sorry. Yeah. If this be Terax. If this be Terax. Uh, is it? Uh, we're, still, yeah. we're still Wolfman Burnance in it, in terms of creative. That's right. And uh, uh, you basically have them on the planet trying to retrieve Terax, the new Herald. Turns out the Terax is, uh, a, is the planet's undisputed warlord. So... It looks like it's going to be kind of tough to actually catch him after they've been taken hostage by, um, you know, the the alien race that he commands. Uh, ultimately, it turns out to be okay because there's four of them and only one of him. So, well done. And he's a terrible despot ruler, yeah. but he's not. He's a terrible despot ruler until someone hits him, and then he's like, "Oh shit." Actually, there's that weird thing. Yeah, he's he's starting to glow weird-like. And Reed says, stand back, Ben. This must be Galactus's doing. And you're like, I don't... Then why did he need the FF? You know, it's... Oh, God, Graham. Why isn't it over? No, it but, just... but that, that's just it. it. Because Wolfman is continually throwing new new things in there i I guess it's in new ideas because there's no new idea in this entire 10 issue story yeah but there are are new complications Mm -hmm. but they're all nonsensical they're all just weird like and then and then and then and then and it doesn't build the only thing it really is doing is it's playing out time when we know the Reed, Sue, and Ben have three days to live. Reed, Sue, and Ben have three days to live. We see the Sphinx leave for Earth to destroy it. And the FF could not be more leisurely in trying to fight him. And yet, is you know, <laughs> it would really serve them right if like the Sphinx destroyed Earth like an issue and a half ago. But no. By the time they go through all this ridiculous errand running quest fetching like all the most dull parts of dull video games jammed into one dull ass storyline the sphinx is still just showing up to earth just in time for him and galactus to have the battle between titans you know i i do want to say that although this is a big waste of time i think that ish pages like 22 through 27 or so which is essentially the creation of Terax and the showing off of his powers is burn doing doing burn but also trying to do like Kirby level cosmic stuff and it's it's enjoyable it's not it's not really anything we haven't seen before but I kind of liked it because it kind of again it had that thing of like oh yeah I remember liking burn like some of the stuff, the the three panels on page 22, where after Terax gets blasted by Galactus and he begins metamorphosizing into the final form, sorry, from Tyros to Terax, those three panels are abstract and fun and very, very, very Kirby-ish, but very Kirby being channeled by Burn. And it's, 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 
I got to take I got to take something, Graham. I got to take from this one again. And I can completely understand that because otherwise this issue and the last issue and the issue before that feel like the most ridiculous shaggy dog story fillers. Shaggy dog is, yeah, that's a perfect description of it. And sadly, they kind of are. I, I, because it's, it's just a succession of more complications that aren't even fun. They're not even interesting. Yeah. There's nothing uh, about meeting this alien despot that is is new to the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. He's a very generic villain, and he's a villain that is dispatched amazingly easily. Yeah. I mean, literally, Ben threatens oh no he hits him once and then he threatens to hit him again yeah and he's defeated yeah so it's like i'm just gonna turn him into terrorex you guys that's okay i'm gonna get back to earth now which is just ridiculous Mm -hmm. so 212 which should feel like an event Mm -hmm. the battle of the titans it's called does does not no it it really just feels it, it feels almost like a relief because you're like oh maybe it's almost over yeah. If Galactus and the Sphinx are facing off, maybe the story is almost over. Right. And there's lots of things in here that should be maybe not exciting, but more exciting than they are. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Reed and Sue are look terrible. And in fact, Sue essentially dies of old age in this mm-hmm. issue as placed into stasis. Yeah. Uh, and you do get the Sphinx fighting. Oh, you get the things, first of all, going over his origin again, because as you said last episode, when he appeared in the, the <laughs> annual, the Sphinx can't not tell everyone his origin. Yeah. If Sphinx is going to appear, he's going to spend a couple of pages at least talking about his origin. But and so you get the Sphinx and Galactus facing off, although literally facing off. They don't even start their fight in this issue because that's how much filler. and Yeah, yeah. They literally face off against each other in the second last page of the issue. And then Terak shows up and he's like, ah, and I'm going to kill you as well. <laughs> and then it's like, hey, guys, stuff's actually happening next issue. But yeah. for me, at least the goodwill had burned off. Mm-hmm. No, no John Byrne pun there at all. <laughs> uh, but it had. I was like, really? We just fucking finished the story? Yeah. Yeah. I also have to say, I, I was curious... I was shocked that the cover of 212 has to be the fastest that Walt Simonson has ever drawn anything. Like, this is a Simonson <laughs> cover, right? I mean, because it is amazing how much I'm like, oh, it. here we have Burn on the insides and we have Simonson, Simonson doing the cover. Two of the dudes who I think, you know, are, at least in Graham's pantheon, considered have done two of the best oh, they, runs they, of the yeah, Fantastic yeah, they, Four. They are, they are behind Lee and Kirby, the best yeah. Fantastic Four runs. Yeah. yeah. And you have you a cover this. <laughs> that, honest to God, looks like those um, convention sketch covers, you know, that someone draws on a blank thing, except Simonson kind of ran out of time, so he really started cartooning the crap out of it. Like, the... The whole idea of like, how do you draw a aging, decrepit Ben Grimm? And the only answer Simonson can come up with is not like this. You know, it's. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I, I will have to put a, a screenshot off of the cover on, on the show notes because, yeah, it's it's a terrible issue. It's a terrible issue. 
But here's the sad thing. There's mm-hmm. nothing surprising about how bad it is. Yeah. It's no, by this point. Totally mm-hmm. in keeping by yeah. how bad this comic has become by this yeah. point. The, this, this is a book. This is 212. It has been flying off the rails, you know, depending on which of us right, you yeah, talk to. Essentially for a year. Yeah. More or less for a year entirely, and certainly for the better half of a year if you start counting it from issue 204. It's 212. It ends up with Terax. I, I, again, there's part of me that's like, I sort of like the idea that Terax is essentially just, um, I mean, apart from the idea of like, oh, each of the, the different Galactus Heralds represents a different element and Terax is now Earth. It's like, yes, okay, fine. But I, I kind of like the idea that he's a shitbag, you know, that he's essentially kind of one of Galactus's heralds. But unlike the other ones, you can't really trust him when his when when Galactus's back is turned. So, uh, so it's great, even though he's basically totally down with Galactus, and Galactus is, you know, he's happy to call him his master. Um, he's still beating the shit out of the FF for um, humbling him before his people. Even though, as Reed points out, it's like, but we were doing it because of. Uh, um, is, that, is that what Reed says? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what he says. Uh, uh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, so then you get a big battle between the Sphinx and Galactus. They're both giant. What creeps me out is is due to some sort of strange coloring error uh, galactus has what can only be described as felix the cat eyes throughout <laughs> so much of yeah, this episode I, yeah two, 213 is a really a, a fascinating finale because someone has forgotten to negative out galactus's eyes yeah. so his eyes are now yellow and his square pupils are black yeah that that's in that's in one where he looks ridiculous and then later there's they manage to get the eyes right but for whatever reason because of the way that that John Byrne is trying to i guess <laughs> draw Are you talking about page 15? Yes. Page 15? My yeah. god, yeah. It's totally I'm like what an adorable little Galactus that is. Like, what a chubby-cheeked little youth. I mean, he honestly, it honestly looks like Sluggo from Nancy and Sluggo is trying to dress up as Galactus. Uh, and he beats the shit out of the Sphinx because, because, I don't know. You know, again. <laughs> but again, that's the problem. At this point, you so you should have a, a really exciting finale in 2.13. Yeah. Because you have... The Sphinx versus Galactus, and you have Terax versus the Fantastic Four. And not just the Fantastic Four. A Fantastic Four where only Johnny is at full strength. Sue is comatose. Reed is essentially near comatose himself. And Ben is also aged. And there's no excitement in this issue. There's no tension. Even when Ben essentially has a heart attack and has to be put into stasis himself... It all just sort of happens. Yeah, there, there's a lot of, there's all a bunch of stuff of it all just sort of happens. It just all unfolds. The scene of Galactus and the Sphinx, like the closest thing you have to a narrative itch to scratch is, is that the Sphinx starts talking about uh, the vicious circle must be broken now. How often have I heard that pompous speech world eater? How many times have I stared into your deep brooding eyes? 
Ah, well, once again, there can be no alternative path. Once again, as always before, the only future is in battle. So there's something going on with the Sphinx, which is a new development in that he apparently is stuck on some sort of loop that maybe was mentioned in passing throughout the other episodes, but I don't fucking think so. That's about the only thing you have going on. That and the fact that Galactus clearly, and I apologize for the phrase because it's somewhat loaded, but there is no other way to say it. He pimp slaps the Sphinx. He basically pimp slaps the clothes off the Sphinx, and this begins. It's This is an all-combat issue that is so dull. So dull. Well, let's be blunt. Galactus is a great character and a great idea. Yeah. Galactus is infinitely less interesting when he literally gets into a fist fight with well, another yeah, character. Exactly. It, And I think there is future issues of the FF coming where Byrne has a very strong sense that, the, that Galactus is not really interesting as a physical let's punch him out kind of way. It shows... Uh, it just kind of shows kind of how deeply, how much misunderstanding there is about the character. And again, there's a way in which if you see, if depending on how you want to look at this battle, subtextually, it could have been interesting. Because on the one hand, you can pretend that it is the battle between basically one of Kirby's greatest creations, Galactus, and an analog of one of Kirby's other greatest collection creations, Darkseid. Or you can even look at it in this very weird way of, here you have the Sphinx, who, as he is fond of telling everyone, was a dude who was defeated by Moses and God. And now that he has the powers of God, he's essentially having a showdown with the Marvel Universe analog of God, which is Galactus. So... Mm. There's kind of when he's sort of blab blabbing about the full circle thing is Wolfman in his head in a way that he has not been able to convey in absolutely any sense at all. He has managed to have essentially the creation of the anti-god across all all these issues, and even across from the time that the Sphinx is first introduced. You get to see all of his plans come to fruition, and it's God versus anti-God in this issue where the FF are, are, are the literal embodiments of mortality in that they are dropping dead of old age before everyone's eyes while locked in, in combat. Like... If you take someone who actually, and this is so unfair, Marv Wolfman knows how to tell a story. I have to say that out loud because anyone who's like us was reading these issues would not believe me if this was the only thing they'd read by Marv Wolfman. This is, this honestly is where I feel so much of the bad mouthing of crappy Marvel comics really comes from because you look at this and it communicates nothing. It just seems lost in its own miasmia. You it, know, it is of... running through so many tropes at yeah. this point mm -hmm. that everything feels meaningless and also silly. Well, I think so. That's you get it. you get the the Sphinx and Galactus 
wrestling and then the Galactus magically is like, I have just depowered you and I have crushed your 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 gem. You are nothing. And then Sage turns up. But Sage is S-A-Y-G-E, which yes. in itself sounds like like feels like a terrible joke. Yeah. And Sage is like, oh no, I told you you were going to get fucked. Mm-hmm. And then the watcher shows up and he's like, you're not going to eat Earth because I say so. And it all just feels ridiculous. Yeah. It's all of these, I was going to say all of these great ideas. The Sphinx is not a great idea. The Sphinx is terrible. But the Watcher and Galactus, when done right, are great ideas and have great potential. And in this story, everything seems ridiculous. Well, I think I think this is it. I To me, it's it's not so much that there's so many tropes that they have no meaning. It's It's kind of the idea that... Wolfman mistakes the tropes for meaning. Like all he has to do is put it out there and and it's going to resonate for us. And it and it really doesn't. The the idea that it does for some people and it probably will is depending on kind of how much goodwill that you have for it, like kind of how I don't know, just I guess how much you're willing to ignore what isn't there. But you know, honestly, anyone could take all of this stuff. Again, someone like Jonathan Hickman could take a story, and I don't even like Jonathan Hickman. He could take all of these story beats, blow it up into something. I mean, the sad part is is that he couldn't do it in eight issues. He would have to do it in, like, 24 or something like that. But, you know, there's a way in which I'm like, I could have cared about this. And at the end of it, I just don't like we get to the end of it and essentially read keels over in Johnny's arms after managing to scare off Galactus with like a really bad, bad, hoary Stanley esque ending. And wait, wait, we should explain the ending. So the ending is Galactus having defeated the Sphinx and for that matter, sending the Sphinx back in time so that the Sphinx of 1979 becomes the Sphinx of 5,000 5, years ago yeah. and is stuck in an own time loop of his own yes. uh, his his own timeline, yeah. which explains the comments earlier in the issue about we meet again, time to break the circle, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Galactus is then confronted by Johnny and Reed, and Reed says, "I have I have rebuilt the ultimate nullifier. I have seen it. I've seen the real thing." From my memory, I've rebuilt the ultimate nullifier, the ultimate nullifier and I will destroy everything to stop you uh, eating the Earth. Galactus is like, ah, sure, whatever, and leaves. It's a bluff. Yeah. Gal- Reed has not rebuilt the ultimate nullifier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there, there is, there is a lot in there that just stinks. For one thing, it's the fact that that Reed shows up saying. Do you not recognize this, Galactus? And Galactus says, the ultimate nullifier? But Reed is not holding the ultimate nullifier. The ultimate nullifier is, if you've seen it, you really can't... It looks nothing like it, yeah. Not a goddamn thing. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that. I kind of... I get get where Byrne was going with this, but the fact that Wolfman decided to just pretend that the ultimate nullifier looks different is just 
weird. It's just a weird. There's so, it, and it to me it just sort of points to this idea that Wolfman is whatever else is going on with his life, whether he's. I mean, because this is somewhere around the time that he takes over writing the FF. There's also the FF novel Doomsday that he publishes. Or that is published, I should say, that God help me, I suppose if we were Baxter building completists, we would try and read. But I don't think you could pay me enough whatnots after reading all of this to actually want to read another Marv Wolfman story of the FF again. I really, I have to say, this is... This is dire. Oh, also, I should mention that um, for those people who are big fans of the movie Boogie Nights, uh, issue 213 is the last issue of the 70s. It is It is the last issue of 1979. Issue 214, which concludes things, is the first FF issue of 1980, of the 1980s. Um, issue 214, and then there was one by Marv Wolfman, Byrne, and uh, Joe Sinnott. And, um, and and what do you think of it, Jeff? Oh, my God. So, again, here's the thing where I, I want to say, like, well, Graham, as you know, one of the things that, that Wolfman was consistent about over the issues was really capturing and dramatizing the growing personal crisis of Johnny Storm, a man who can't really seem to figure out why he's in the FF, but has no place outside of the FF either. And finally feeling as he is the most useless member of the team. And yet the only one that remains, it's up to him to save everyone. He, who of course we've seen, so well dramatized throughout all the other issues is suffering under an almost crippling lack of self-esteem. Finally, Wolfman manages to masterfully tie that together in an issue in which Johnny Storm is forced to solve the problem of the other FF's mortality using nothing but his own wits. And if that's not enough, he has to fight the scroll that uh, is able to turn into toasters and also has all the powers of the Fantastic Four <laughs> at the he's same able time. To turn into monsters. <laughs> I mean, That's it, because he's a robot scroll, which is my favorite nonsensical reveal of the whole thing. That is the worst. Like the whole like He's not just a scroll, he's a robot scroll. Yeah. He's it's been a robot all along. Remember when he said that I a son of a scroll? He was he didn't know what he was talking about. Remember all that other stuff? We didn't know what they were talking about. But of course, did is Reed a know-it-all who, of course, knows it even before Johnny finds out? Well, of course. So, uh, yeah. So, basically, it's... Uh, once again, as always happens... And this is the other thing. How is it that this issue ends with the FF being de-aged, or the rest of the FF, except for Johnny Storm, and they're all back younger and stronger? You know? Well Okay, so to give some actual plot synopsis for this, Johnny ends up going to first the Avengers, I think, because yeah. he's trying to find Tony Stark because he thinks Tony Stark will be able to come up with the machine to DH the FF. 
he goes to the Avengers. Uh, they're not there. He goes to S.H.I.E.L.D. Tony Stark is there, but is in some sort of radioactive thing that needs 24 hours decontamination, so it can't help. Yeah. He goes back to the Baxter building. He tries to talk to Princess Adora, who's like, we're fighting the Skrulls. Do you remember the Skrulls? We're fighting the Skrulls. Then the Skrull attacks, because there's still a Skrull there from before, the one that attacked Adora. Yep. Turns out that Skrull's a robot, but he has the gun, or he has a gun double-aged them again. Yeah. He Johnny defeats that scroll, wakes up Reed from stasis, says, I've got this, can you reverse it? Reed reverses it, goes back into stasis. Johnny shoots it at them multiple times so that when they do wake up, they're not only back to their own age, they're younger than they were. Which is... Which, again, part of me is like, I don't know, it's, it's amazing how much that itself is like, really... That's now an FF trope that whenever the FF lose their powers and gain their powers back, they're going to come back even stronger. Like, honestly, that that was such a sort of well done beat on on Marf Wolfman's own run when when exactly. Mr. Fantastic like a year ago. Yeah, it's like issue one ninety six, which at this point is is. 18 issues, close to 20 issues ago, so it's a year and a half old. But it's his own comic that he's more or less ripping off by that point. Oh, God, Graham. Well, so, um, everyone, I want to apologize if it sounds like all I did was rampantly complain. And if I say it sounds like, it's because I know I did. All I did was rampantly complain through this. Well, but to be fair, these issues are terrible. They're really I mean, these bad. are genuinely really, really bad. And it's so the, the the team comes back. They're younger than ever, apart from Johnny, which mm-hmm. doesn't seem to bother anyone. And they they then do their all hands in the center. Let's come together to help mankind thing. Which again they did in issue two hundred one. Yes, and proceed more or less to apart from helping Willie Junior's family in issue two hundred three, have done nothing except get attacked, get kidnapped and fly to the other side of the universe to participate in a war, which 214 helpfully points out, is not even over yet, nor do they give any kind of shits. Not just two exactly. shits, they're, not they're a single like, shit. Just, yeah. They just, don't give half know, a shit. Can, yeah. yeah. Can, can you just, like, you know, go back and deal with that thing that you were initially going into space to solve? They don't care. No. No, they're kind of like, ah, you know, we did this thing for Princess Adora. Now she's back and doing her thing. Then we have to fly back and save Earth and our own lives. And boom. Okay, we're done. But there's so little. I mean, sure, Galactus and Sphinx are out of the way. But they're but Galactus less... and Sphinx were only in the way because of the war in the first place. Exactly. They were characters that came into the third act that turned into problems. There's all the stuff in the earlier acts that is clearly supposed to be some sort of problem oh god graham oh god well so it's like oh shit i think one of the things that's fascinating to me is unlike other low points that we have visited well actually i don't think that's entirely true i'm going to revise this the thing that i find fascinating about the ff the fantastic four is how often low points in their run comes from um, not a dearth of ambition, but but an excess of ambition. This story is designed to be a cosmic epic, but is told by somebody 
who is not paying attention, which is which is very much the feeling that I you get when you read, say, Jerry Conway's issues, which also are kind of a, near a low point of the run, or Stan Lee right before he departs, you know, also a low point. Like, there is nothing that's supposed to be more jaw-dropping than Gabriel the Airwalker, and once again, it just ends up being a ruse for another exceptionally dull Galactus story. You know? I, and we are very close to the end of Wolfman's run. Yeah. I mean, Wolfman, I think, is gone. Yeah, Wolfman's gone within two issues. I, oh, I believe it. Because he checks out so early in this, it's hard to believe he's paying attention. I mean, he is a kid. He is a little bit kid in a candy store in, in this particular point. It is worth mentioning that, for example... When the Human Torch is looking for Spidey and it's shown that Spider-Man's fighting Man-Wolf, it's, that's during Marv Wolfman's reign. On, he's writing Spider-Man and the FF uh, at the same time. And uh, if my memory serves, his Spider-Man is terrible as well. It, <laughs> he really is the like, oh boy, Finally, my chance at these two titles, and maybe because he's he is trying to go for both of them at the same time, uh, it is it is catastrophic. It really is just a, a kind of Graham. I have to say, it's fascinating to me that this is is it Wolfman, and then and then it's immediately Burn right after, or is there more? No, fill-in no, types? it's it's Wolfman, and then uh, for a while there was the forgotten FF run. Of Doug Munch and Bill Sienkiewicz. Holy shit. Okay, that's going to be they, interesting. They're on for a while. They're on for like 10 issues. Wow. Bill Sienkiewicz drew 10 issues of the FF? Bill Sienkiewicz and Joe Sinnott. Oh, shit. Well, that's... Wow, no wonder why nobody remembers or talks about these. Like it's, It looks fascinating. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I can't... I'm kind of eager to see how that looks, but... Oh, man... I mean, oh man. Well, anyway, so there you have it. What not? But yeah, let, let's just say, listeners, that um, the, this this may be the nadir of Fantastic yeah. Four, and we we've we've not liked some of these issues before. Yeah. But this may be it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because usually, if you look back, even when we're we're harsh on stuff it's amazing how much we'll split the difference how like Graham will like something and i won't or i'll really be into something and Graham is dismissive of it this is a real rarity in that it and that these issues stink so hard neither of us can avoid it it's just flat out like it's just flat out not good not good. And it's amazing because you really, it is Wolfman. It's, I feel like it's, it's really rare to see someone do a surprisingly strong first year on a title and follow it up with a ridiculously weak second year. You know, I don't, like, I, like I said, two, one through two or three, I think are solid if unspectacular. I mean, two or three sure. is kind of a mess, yeah. but you know, two, one and two or two, I actually really like, sure. but 204 through 214 is just horrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. really bad comics that get progressively worse mm-hmm. because it seems like he's just spinning his wheels and spinning his wheels and spinning his wheels. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I have to say, and I don't know, hopefully Wolfman will, will figure, will 
we'll find this out in the last two issues, but the scroll who can turn into a toaster who was a robot, he's not the reason that was causing the the Baxter building to attack the FF in 201, right? That's not, is that, do you know, Graham? No, uh, it's, it, I, I could be wrong, but I think that was a side effect of Quasimodo's influence, which comes from Andorra's signal. Oh, also, Quasimodo flies into space, I guess because of Andorra's signal, and finds nothing and never shows and up again. Yeah, he, there is no point to him, even though he's designed to be an incredible dangling plot thread. Uh, he's one that Wolfman cannot be bothered to go back to. So it's amazing. Also, if if you read the letters pages in, in these issues, you get people who are um, talking about how great they are and a lot of people complaining and a lot of defensiveness in the letters pages, which is great. You actually have an issue real early on where issue 201, which has read... Uh, defeat microbe X more or less off panel. Uh, they supply a panel in issue like two, three, or two or four in the letters page that is basically reads exposition of how he defeated the microbe, and they're just like, yeah, just paste that in there. And I'm just like, wow, that sucks. I just love the idea. You have one comic panel that you can do. You're not even going to show it. Be dramatic. You're like, nope. Here's Reed explaining to everyone. Ah. Enjoy everyone. Like it really is like. Mm. So anyway, and there's there's a few other ones where people are like, wait, what happened there? And and people and Marv actually saying like, oh, I'm really sorry, I forgot. <laughs> it, well, there's a, a case to be made here that I think Jim Shooter probably made yeah. that these eleven issues two uh, two four through two fourteen yeah. prove that. Someone who is both writer and editor is not a good idea. That, I agree. that you need yeah. you need an external editor to curb the impulses of the writer. Well, to to yeah, to curb them and ask some really basic questions that that Wolfman would have really uh, benefited from. It, the The fact of the matter is, is uh, you know, they can't all be Roy Thomas. You know, and everyone's trying to get the Roy Thomas deal of, oh, let me be the editor in chief. And then I get to be writer editor of my own book because I was editor in chief. And now everyone gets to leave me alone and I get to drive this book right into the ground. Not everyone's doing that, but oh, man, Wolfman really does. It's fascinating when you read Sean Howe's uh, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. There's a lot of shit that gets laid at Len Wein and Marv Wolfman's door. And mm -hmm. it doesn't really have anything to do with these stories. It really has a lot of the tales of them becoming editors-in-chief and essentially screwing over everyone else, basically. Like, the only like they make Jerry Conway look good by comparison, I think, just because Conway didn't... It's somewhat occluded who who he really screws over for the most part. I think it's downplayed, but here it's pretty blatant. And it it's interesting seeing that mirrored in in 14 issues of a comic that is so bad from an experienced writer that, that like you said, 
Shooter is able to make a really good case as to why this shouldn't be allowed to persist. And he's right. I mean, it's... It, yeah, yeah, that's just it. On the on the evidence of these issues, yeah. he is right. Yeah. Because I can't believe that if this book had a different editor, this story would have been so meandering for so long. Yeah. There, there would have been a lot of either cut to the chase or create stuff. I mean, do you remember that one page where, like, uh, Adora's boyfriend Xanax comes out of his like sleepy coma times or whatever and then says that he will always protect her and then they make out on a bed and then it cuts away to more cosmic shindigs you never see him again ever well that's just it so much time is spent so much time even is spent on these scrolls because you see Queen Raquel kill her husband or that's her right love. yeah and you never see the scrolls again. Yeah, it never pays off. Remember uh, the prime thorax or whatever the whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> Let's just call him the prime thorax. The prime no, but thorax. I, I see what you're saying. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, he he turns into like a manifestation of living brain power. Flies into space to lead everyone into battle. You never see him again. You never see him again. It's it. it it really is um it's it's just tragic it's a it's a tragic set of issues um and it's to me it is it is interesting i think that you know i was going to talk about the whole boogie nights like oh yeah here's here's the scene where william h macy shoots himself and everyone discovers cocaine and now it's the 80s but the but the fact is is that this these issues of the ff are um, are the signs of an end of an era because what's coming next is Shooter's Marvel. This paves the road for Shooter's I, I, Marvel. I, re I really, really think it does. Yeah, I think it's so too. amazing. Yeah, and it it is, it is the 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 excesses of the decade lead to the Reaganization of Marvel Comics under Jim Shooter, um, and it's 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 a shame. It really is for someone like me who adores so much of the the Bronze Age. Seeing so how what we're, what we're saying is, not only do these comics suck, they ruined Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> Although I say that as someone who thinks that the Shooter Era didn't ruin Marvel Comics. No, I I think that's actually a really good point. There's some stuff that really happens under the Shooter Era. I mean, you you got to cut well, you it get into Miller pieces. Daredevil, you get Simonson's Thor. Yeah, you you get Burns, you get Burns FF. You know. Yeah. You, you get a lot of people – for one thing, uh, all of that is reflective of the fact that artists are given a chance to write their own books because they're enough of a draw. That's a very sh savvy move, especially when you have uh, relatively tight editorial controls. The thing that's interesting about, about Shooter is – Marvel is, is that it becomes – is it suffers from, I guess, mission creep. It starts off with a relatively good idea and set of controls and then grows and grows and grows. The classic, like, full figures in effect where suddenly you can no longer have close-ups of the characters leads to just an amazing diminishment in the art. The fact that Shooter begins this process of taking 
writers that he doesn't like off of books that he thinks are too obscure or and or the process of kind of the first well is it the first real wave of killing off heroes and replacing them with other characters i mean you you're, you you're see thinking that of like uh Iron Man being James Rhodes and yeah, I mean that that definitely happened. There was definitely the rumors that he wanted to have the Big Bang. Remember that that yes. was the thing that Doug Munch went went public with that yeah. Shooter essentially wanted to start over the Marvel universe. Yeah, the, and he wanted to essentially take out all of the characters and replace them with someone else, and that's that's what he was going to do with Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu, uh, for example. So. Uh, yeah, so all of which is to say, yeah, he it, th- these comics don't wreck Marvel Comics because both Graham and I think that there's a lot in the shooter era that... But it is the end of a certain freewheeling bent, let's put it that way. So, yeah, yeah so these issues really are strangely the end of an era in a way that is... That's probably the most the most interesting part of them, which is a, which only happens because of how relentlessly uninteresting they are. So, <laughs> it, which which is kind of true. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a rough batch of issues, and it's funny because when we not the the last episode, but the episode before, we're talking about like what issues we were going to read through, and you made the case for doing more rather than less. Yeah. Uh, which is why we ended up choosing this amount. I'm glad we went for this amount because I think that if we'd just done, like, if we, even if we'd left off at like 2.9 or something, two, yeah. 209, 210, the I, I, prospect of just coming back to this yeah. would have would have just been draining. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think, I don't remember if it's something that you and I mentioned in the emails, but if not, it's, it's certainly worth sharing. I, I got to issue 207 of, of FF. And quit from just sheer boredom. Not oh, yeah, once, yeah. Me, but like too. twice. I, I, yeah. I want to say I th- I want to say it was two o five. I just like was jammed on two o five or two o six. But I was just like, yep. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's it. To the point where I only finished these issues this morning <sighs> because we had to do the podcast tonight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I pressed through cause I literally at a certain point, like 207, I had to quit cause it was excruciating, but I made a point to come back to him. I started taking them on my lunch break because, because they gave me a way to look forward to work. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah, things will get slightly better next time around. <laughs> I hope. Uh, how many issues do you want to do next, Jeff? Uh, I I don't know. Would... I I I I've gone back and forth on this a bunch mm-hmm. because part of me really wants to go for broke and go all the way through to two thirty one. Sure, two fifteen to two thirty one, and which and... is a lot, but yeah. it basically takes us all the way up to the burn run the next uh, the episode after that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good idea. And speaking of which, Graham, should should you start wrapping us up so that we? Can... I should. I yeah. really should. We we've run long. Um. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We're sorry that you had to suffer through these issues and you had to suffer through us suffering through these issues. Um, there will be show notes for this episode, as there are for all the Baxter Buildings and all the WaitBots at waitbotpodcast.com, 
where you'll also find occasional written pieces by myself, by Mr. Jeff Lester, and by Mr. Matthew Terrell. Uh, we're also on the internet at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and on Twitter at wait, sorry, at waitwhatpodcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff's on Twitter solo at LazyBassett at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And uh, we also have a Patreon, which is the entire reason Baxter Building exists. Jeff, I said the word to magic... I'll try it again. I said the magic word. <laughs> Patreon. You did. You did. Patreon is a magic word because there are many magic people on there that uh, support us and uh, help make this uh, possible. As Graham mentions, uh, the Baxter Building exists in part as a stretch goal for... Um, on Patreon, that because people are willing to be so generous and kind, uh, we turned around and created this thing that you're listening to with your very ears. Among the people that we are grateful to, um, the kind crew at the American Ninth Art Studios, as well as the mysterious Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, to whom all of us are but dust, motes of dust in her mighty galactic paw. Neither the Sphinx nor Galactus, I think it is safe to say, really would have been able to last for a couple of minutes if Empress Audrey had shown up during that whole foo We're grateful to her, we're grateful to American Ninth Art Studios, and we're grateful to all of our patrons on Patreon for supporting us and, like I said, making this possible, enjoyable, and survivable. That's all you need to know from me. Next time we are going to be doing Fantastic Four's issue 215 through 231. It's a lot of them, but they're going to be kind of fascinating. Yeah. The the Munch Sienkiewicz run is really... It's like a lost era. It's a lost era. It really is, and it's also a really weird era. It genuinely is. Uh, So I'm really curious what you're going to make of it, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, I am too, I have to say. We will be doing another Baxter building in about a month. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, But in the meantime, Jeff has something to say to you. I do. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.